Dreyer presents The Power of You with John Williams and Tanya Caprioli. The Andrea Method. Inspire, influence and impact your world. Be who you were born to be. What's stopping you? Find out now with John and Tanya. Good afternoon, good evening, uh, good morning, depending on what part of the world you're listening to this broadcast or podcast in, or what time of the day that that is at that particular time. My name is John Williams. I am your host here on The Power of You, and I'm also the co-founder of Andrea. I'm going to be here week after week, same time, 3 p.m. Pacific time, talking to you about you, about what's holding you back, about what's stopping you from inspiring, influencing and impacting your world because you were born special and we want you to be that way. Right now, I'd like to introduce you to my co-founder and co-host, Tanya Caprioli. How was your week, Tanya? It was good. How yeah. are you, John? No, I'm doing fine. Been busy? Oh, always busy. <laughs> hey, today we're going to be talking about finding your default, discovering your your default. So, Tanya, what's what's that all about? Uh, okay, so we touched on this a little bit last week. Um, and for those of us who can see, I picked up my trusty iPhone. So any pretty much any smart device that you pick up is going to have a default screen. And you are no different. You have a default too. It's just that you don't realize that you have a default. And once you realize that you've got a default, then you've got a point from which you can start to make some changes. So that's why we begin in the Andrea method with, with default because it so, really is critical to work out. So what, what you're is. saying there is that we have a default. We may not even know we have a default, but we definitely have it. And it's, it's all, all encompassing because we we can't really manage it, can we? Because we don't know it's there. No. We, yes. First of all, you need to know it's there, and awareness is, is key on anything. Um, now, I know that we are on digital radio and we're broadcasting, but I'm just going to uh, use a, a PowerPoint here. Cool. And show you, actually, that is not the right screen. I can't figure it out. Best laid plans of mice and men and live broadcast, Tanya. It's the yeah, way. Yeah, you did warn me that pretty much uh, <laughs> it was going to go that way, right? So let me just um, let me just. I'll draw it for you. I'll I'll do it verbally. So we've got uh, the Andrea method is essentially consists of three separate modules, and the beginning of the module is is your default. So your mm -hmm. default is uh, made up of a whole bunch of different things, which you can think of like filters. Now, you might say, well, why is it important? We've touched on that a little bit with, well, you need to know what it is so that you can shift it. But it's a bit like um, Candy Crush. Have you ever tried to get rid of Candy Crush, John? First of all, have you ever downloaded Candy Crush? No, I have not downloaded it. I have played it a couple of times online, but I've not downloaded it. Yeah. Well, if you have a teenager in your midst, they may or may not download it. And it's one of those insidious things that once you get it onto your hard drive, try getting rid of it. It's almost impossible. So if you do the normal things, which is you go to, I mean, I, I'm a PC user, so it might be a bit different on a Mac. You can probably enlighten us, but the same logic applies. You go to your apps and programs and then hit uninstall. And it goes through a process and voila, it's gone. Except mm -hmm. the fact that it's not. If it's Candy Crush, it will just keep coming back <laughs> and keep coming back. And no matter how many times you uninstall the damn thing, voila, the next morning there's Candy Crush. Now, it wasn't until I happened to be experiencing a similar thing with another program that I realised you have to go into the back door because programmers always have back doors. And you have to uninstall the bits that you can't see for it to actually work effectively, i.e. to get rid of it. So it's, uh -huh. I know Candy Crush isn't malware, but it is a little bit like that for this uh, example that we're talking about with regard to your default. 
So, so you're saying that that mm-hmm. our default position is a little bit like that Candy Crush program. It's so deeply buried that we actually have to be quite deliberate about finding out about it. Exactly. It's it's almost exactly like Candy Crush. <laughs> and once you know how to remove Candy Crush, and by the way, I've forgotten how to do it because I didn't write it down. But I know that I had to go into the into the back files to get it. But once you know a way, and this the Andrea method is a way for you to do that, then if Candy Crush does come back, in other words, uh, you've got a teenager that comes and reinstalls it on your hard drive, or there's a situation that re-stimulates or reactivates that, and bam, there it is. You at least now have a way to uninstall that very unhelpful program. And so that that automatic reaction, that that reaction. Yeah. That reinstallation, does that happen to us as humans with our default position as well? It can do. When we get re-stimulated or triggered by something, absolutely. So how does this work? Come on, Lydia, how does, how, how does this default position work? Because I know that there's we, we have four lessons in, in this particular module, and the first one is the, the lost art of, of listening, and then we have internal chatter, and then what's really bugging you, and then fear, and they all make up that particular module. So what's what's going on? Well, maybe a better question would be, why did I start where I started? So ask okay. me that question. Why did you start where you started? Very good question, John. Um, because how you listen determines everything. So how do you listen in a conversation? Like, seriously, how do you listen? Well, I try to be an, I try to be an active listener. Um, and sometimes people say that my ears are painted on and I'm, sometimes I'm thinking about a reply before, you know, there might be something I want to comment on, so I'll have that in my head and that can disrupt my listening. But I try to be an active listener, being that I ask questions and, and try to learn from what the person opposite me is saying. Okay. And they're skills that you've learned, which is really great. That is how you can actively overcome the way you might automatically listen, but what sits underneath it? Oh, well, if you're talking about, but anyway, my set of, my set of filters, well, it's, it's the way in which I see the world. Yeah, filters. Yeah. Filters. Yeah. You, you hit the nail right on the head. And how did you get those filters? Well, generally they've been about through uh, life experience it probably starts from the day you were, you were, you were born. Um, you have a certain way, a certain language that's used around you as you're growing up, certain uh, memes, certain normalities. And those are the things that, that you can see. Well, I've been doing a lot of, of looking at this recently uh, in a Donald Hoffman book called The Case Against Reality. Basically, the argument is that whatever you perceive is about what keeps you fit for the purpose of propagation. That's the only interest that your brain really has in, in, in the world, just looking after the propagation of your genes. Yeah. Arthur Schopenhauer had a similar view when he mm. said, and I don't know the quote in English, I know it in Italian, but it basically means that um, love is nature's way of tricking us into procreating. So, Go on, say it in Italian. We might have Italian listeners. No, no, I'm not going to do that because I would be paraphrasing even with that. <laughs> so it's, it's how love cheats you into taking actions that you might not other ta- otherwise yep. take. So agree, that's, that's exactly what happens. So, so how do we get clear on this situation if we're not clear of where they're, you know, so we've got filters and filters kind of like, they're like, well, I like going with with the universe, the contextual thing, right? So it stops you from seeing things. And you know, we talk about having a, a world of color. Just imagine color world where, yep. where there's only two colors, blue and red, mm-hmm. right? And the, the three colors that are possible then are blue, red, and purple. Is green possible? No. No, no, it doesn't even it doesn't even come across the radar. It's not even it's not it's you. It's literally in the third certainty of life, which is you don't know what you don't know. It's outside of your realm of realization. Your filters are literally taking that out because they're they're not open to green. All you ever see is what's blue and red and mixed between the two. Yeah, correct. All you ever see is what you know. What you what you know. Yeah. Yeah. 
But the first thing that you need is to get that you've got filters. So if you don't mm-hmm. get that you've got filters, you just see the way the world is. So, like, I've got my glasses, which I've taken off, but when I put them on, <laughs> the world is a lot clearer. But I can, I can see you pretty clearly without it. But if I put them on, it changes my view. Have you ever worn polarised lenses in glasses yeah. at all? Yeah. When you yeah. first put them on, how do they feel? Oh, that was a long time ago. I just love the clarity because when I first put them on, it was you know, particularly around water. It's like, wow, I can see. Yeah, the glare goes. Mm. But everything appears either a shade of, depending on which ones you buy, a shade of yellow or a shade of blue. And that's yeah, well, the I'm colour blind anyway, so, you know. <laughs> well, then you're not blue, green, whatever, it's all grey. I was going to say shade of grey because that's all I see. <laughs> right. Well, for, for those of us that can see colour um, normally, and I use that in inverted commas, when you've got a polarised lens on that cuts out the glare, great, but it also puts a shade of yellow or a shade of uh, blue over it depending on which brand you buy. You only notice that for a short period of time and then the world just looks normal. Right. That's what filters do. And yet that filter's in place the whole time. So of all the information, because we've got billions of bits of information coming at us at any one time, Mm -hmm. um, how much of that, I mean, is it 1% of the information? Is it 100? Do we get 50% of the information that's around us in? But is there any numbers around that? Uh, look, I've read various different figures from 2 billion bits of data per second to the same figure being quoted over a longer period of time. You know what? We probably don't really know. Uh, the fact of the matter is it's going to depend on what you expose yourself to because even in this environment I've got a light that's beaming information at me. I've got a camera, that a video that's sending information to me. I'm using all my senses. Some of it I'm attuned to, some of it I'm not, some of it's on automatic, some of it's not. Um, that's going to be a very different experience than when I'm walking out in nature. But the point is that most of it is deleted and generalised and it's deleted and generalised based on your uh, filters. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. So first of all, you've got to get that you've got filters. But secondly, your filters can then become your excuse. Because I can already hear people out there going, well, my default is my default because I grew up in a background that was, you know, I, I grew up poor or I was surrounded by uh, certain types of people that have made me who I am today. Um, or I didn't have it so good or I had it really great, no matter what it might be. But all of those are pretty good reasons and justifications for why you are the way you are. So once you've got the filters and you've understood that you've got them, then you can either use them as your excuse or you can use them as your starting point to make some changes. And that's why how you listen to yourself is the very first place that I figured was a good place to start because how you listen to others and how you listen to yourself, which most people forget about, pretty much determines everything else. It determines what you're open to. Make sense? So, because um, as we talked before, last week, we, we touched briefly on this and and we, we talked about how our brain normally will set the patterns up, which we use for our filters. We spot patterns and we go, wham, that's, that's what's happened in the past that's what's happening now we make decisions on the data coming into us based on those those patterns and they've been set down more often than not by by trauma or bad things happening highly emotional bad things so we could be pretty negative on ourselves couldn't we we could be you know when we're talking to ourselves we can say well i can't do that who do i who, who, do, who do you think you are i mean that's those are the two favorite channels right yeah you know? they are the two favorite channels And you're right, the negative stuff seems to get through faster than the positive stuff. But the reticular activating system, which is what you're talking about, um, that is programmed, isn't just programmed by trauma. It's just that that tends to be far more impactful. So it's heightened emotion, whether it's heightened emotion in a positive sense or heightened emotion in a negative sense. Either way, it's laying down patterns. And those patterns are what then 
start the basis of our filtering system through which we listen or don't listen. So the first, the first lesson is to understand filtering and understand listening. And, and last contribution I had to make on that one is, yep. according to David Eagleman and his book, The Brain, 60% mm-hmm. of what we think we're seeing is actually made up by the visual cortex. And it's yeah, it's a projection in your brain. It's validated by our, our vision as such. So 60% of what we see is being created by our brains. It's pretty easy to believe the, the power of these filters and the way in which we see the world, quite literally, is is predetermined. And then you mentioned about these, these voices in our heads, how we talk to ourselves, which I guess is where we go to an internal chatter, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So how do we tame the beast? Well... Um, you train it like a two-year-old, effectively. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if everybody's got experience with kids or, or animals, but with a child, I was amazed at this. I thought when I brought my son home from um, the hospital that he would just know how to sleep. Everyone knows how to sleep, right? Now you've got to train them. You've got to teach them. Otherwise, what they want to do instinctively is to just stay awake because they're getting all this, um, like they're a little sponge and they're absorbing all this information from the environment and the last thing they want to do is go to sleep, so they fight it. You have to train them into sleep is good for you and put them down and give them adequate sleep because if you don't impose that, and I use that word deliberately, sleeping regime on them, then you are going to be running around Um, and be permanently exhausted. Now, Jive is a good sleeper at night, not during the day, and it wasn't until I went and spoke to a nurse that she said, well, this is going to migrate to the night unless you get a handle on it. So it took about four days of um, getting him trained, and then after that he would go to sleep like that. And training your inner voice is very much like that. So at the moment you've got a tantruming two-year-old potentially, or maybe it's a bit older in your brain and it can be very opinionated and very uh, dogmatic. And one of the things you can do is you can, you can get that if you can hear opposing arguments in your head, ask yourself, who's doing the talking? Yeah, so just paraphrasing that, that, that child that's going on, well, that voice that says, hey, be careful, you you might get hurt, or that's that's not a bad thing, because that's, you know, those warnings are, but when you okay. realise is it that, that polite, John? at the wrong is it, time. Is it that polite, really? <laughs> be careful. No, no, no. Tapping you on the shoulder and warning you to, to just, you know, Tread no, 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 normally it's, normally it's doing something more akin to, don't do that! <laughs> That's more like it. Yeah, exactly. So how do you get it from the very vocal don't do that to tapping you on the shoulder and just going, hey, are you sure you want to do this? How do you do that? Well, that's, that's, that's the question. How do, we, how, how, does, how do people do that? Well, the first thing is to get that it's not you which is why I said, who's doing the talking? Okay, so that voice is not you. No, it's first of all, it's not you. And secondly, the fact that you can disidentify with it tells you it's not you. Right, because you can argue with it. You go, hang on, well, there is another, another thought pattern going on here other than that warning, right? Yeah, so when you can notice that it's not you and then you start to observe it, it starts to shift the focus. Mm-hmm. And when you can shift the focus, then you can start to interact with it. And one of the, like, you wrote this, a great blog post once on um, using a scientific method, you know, never being certain about it, just ask it questions. Because we, yeah. scientists don't take, take things as, as true. What do they do? They try and actively disprove it. Yeah, I call it like living life with a question mark. You know, life is a theory. Um, and then scientific every, science, everything is a theory. And you approach it with the idea of disproving it. No matter whether it's good or bad, the idea is to disprove it so you can learn. 
which leads you to looking at the evidence which is in front of you. So that's a deliberate action then, isn't it? You're making a deliberate action to look at the evidence. Okay, thanks for the warning. I'll just check out to see whether that's valid and then I'll react or respond yes. rather than react. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Res- respond is the correct term because um, if, if you're reacting, then you're not responding. And I know the difference might be subtle, but we touched on language last week and yeah. language matters. How you use it matters. So a response is something that's considered, thought about. A reaction is an action you've taken before. So if you've taken it before, how do you know it's the right one? Yeah. Well, well, I, I, unless you try out other evidence and you try and see the fit and say, well, can this, can this change? So, like, that's, again, this is this issue of, of, of questioning. Now, these, these, these voices, you, know, you say, Who's, whose voice is it? Um, these voices come from the past. Is this the res playing up again or well, what's going on on there? Um, we, you know, we talked about we see the world through a set of filters that's probably been brought about or has been brought about by our experience in life to date. And I would suggest <clears throat> that that's one of the problems young people have is because they don't have that much experience. Everything's very intense when they're seeing the world as it is right then and there. They don't have the, the experience to, to see their way through their current circumstance. Um, and that's another matter, but I just came to me. We generate this internal chatter, which we talk to ourselves about whatever it is. What is it? Normally, we judge, we... Uh, yes. Yeah, I've gotten the list of them there, but, but they're, they're, we basically uh, are pretty cynical about the world that's around us, right? And the person we're harshest on is ourselves. Mm-hmm. We normally Generally. beat ourselves within an inch of our common sense. Would that be yes. right? Yeah, well, it, it, it certainly can be that way. I mean, we seem to be built for uh, shame and blame. And the difference between shame and blame is is blame is I'm pointing a finger at you, which generally means there's something up with me, but it's an outward thing. Uh, shame, on the other hand, is the same kind of energy, but it's directed at me. And it is a, a belief that I did something wrong, I am bad, versus you did something wrong and you're bad. Um, so or, is, or is blame a form of deflection? I mean, like... Uh, yes, it is. It is I don't want to take responsibility for what's happened to me, so I'm going to blame you, Right. Yeah, it can be. It can definitely be that as well. Um, but the, the key difference is if you turn it in on yourself, um, whatever you turn in on yourself, you're going to reflect outwardly anyway. You know, that's, mm. that's, there is, mm. okay, so here's a, here's a radical thought for you. There is nothing outside of you, nothing. There's just you. And then everything else shows up in relationship to you. Now, you might be saying, well, that's crazy because you and I are having a conversation, and yes, we are. But whereas you've already said 60% of what you are seeing is generated from your memory of what things are and how they should be. So how much of this is even real? So my relationship that I have (laughs) with me is the one that's determining my relationship with you. Yeah, we're not going to go down the rabbit hole of reality. No, no, no. What I'm going to say to you is that the point you're making here is Mm -hmm. that the reality that you're experiencing is your reality. It is just your reality. It's and and everything is. It's not. There's nothing. Nothing that cannot be changed. You're not stuck. Things are not the way they are. They are, in fact, malleable and mm. have changed and will continue to change. And as you say, if you can have that conversation in your head between this idea and that idea and weigh up the relative merits of those things, well, well clearly now you're in a decision-making position. You're in a position of, of power. So do people forget that they have that power? I think they do, yeah? Yeah, I think they do too. Um, I'm going to paraphrase. There's a a great Buddhist quote that says the mind is changed when you change your mind. It's effectively what you're talking about. 
Mm. If you don't change your mind, if you are positional, which is speaks to your default um, because you've got something to defend, so you talk about responsibility, you only need to go there if you have something to defend. Yeah. And you'd only need to defend if there was something you might be compensating for or needing to protect. You don't need to protect. Then it's a totally different conversation. It's one in which you can be available to another person's point of view. Now, do I do this perfectly? No, not at all. I've got plenty of things that I feel like I need to defend and protect. But when I realise that I'm defending and protecting them, then I can put them aside. But generally not before I realise that I'm defending and protecting them. You know, I was just about to share with the listeners this, that, that, that you know, we've done a lot of, a lot of work and, um, you know, I, I personally been out a big, dark, deep rabbit hole in terms of executive burnout with depression and anxiety. And uh, I was first diagnosed with that close on 10 years ago. And uh, I've done a lot of work since then. And here I am today here talking to you on BBS Radio TV. Um, and this is still affecting me this morning when I wake up. Who do you think you are? You're about to go and talk to people about how they can actually make their lives better and take control of their thinking. And by the way, I'm just going to remind you that uh, you're a bit of a cock case. You're, you've, you've got your own problems there. This, and just like that, it's just, and it was like, okay, well, thanks for turning up and, and back in your, your box. I made sure I show, proved myself my evidence that I have, that I am actually capable of being here and doing this and sharing it with, with people and get them to think about it. Um, and so I was able to use the evidence that was around me, that's around me, and I, so I put structures in place so that that's there. So as I can go, well, yes, I can do this. And I'm uh, just going to quickly say, if people want to know more about what we're talking about here today, go to our website. It's andrea.solutions, that's A-N-D-R-E-I-A, dot solutions, and have a poke around. You'll find in there the Andrea Method, and that's what we're talking about today. The Andrea Method is the total methodology that we use to help people change their stinking thinking into a life that they want to live. So that's what we're talking about, Dan. We're talking about the first module of that called Discover Your Default. And if you go to the website, that's www.andrea.solutions, um, you'll find more information. You can go directly to have a look at the curriculum and, and uh, see some recommendations from people who have undertaken the course and what they think of it. So, Tanya, getting back to the, the module one, Discover Your Default, and we're up to talking about um, upset. What's really bugging you? What's that lesson all about? So we touched on this a little bit last week when I spoke about the, um, the marionettes and the puppeteers. So the idea is that you're either pulling your strings or someone else is pulling your strings. And generally, if you look at what is upsetting you, mostly it's behind you. It's got something to do with your past. So it's either something someone said to you or more importantly, coming back to the internal chatter, it's what you said to you about you. And then you take that on and you believe it and you get upset about something and that is what you're reacting to. Um, and how you recognise it is generally when your reaction is disproportionate to the crime that's being perpetrated against you. So do you have an example of you know, where you've overreacted to something? Are you yeah. willing to share? <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, I, I, I uh, recorded a little vlog on, on, on this just the other, other day um, because I have been uh, triggered by something my wife was doing and I was going back to a bad, a bad situation that, that, that occurred and I was immediately pulling out that behavior was like, nah, I don't, I don't want you to go there and do that because there is a threat to me that I will have to do this, that, and the other thing will bring, create work for me. So I was being very negative, very negative. And I realized that, that fortunately, because she's quite wise and she said, hang on, this isn't then, this is now, and this is different and I'm different and hello, wake up and 
yeah, changed my attitude and it's, uh, it certainly improved things greatly. But that pattern was definitely there. It was like, nah, I don't want you to do that because that's going to be bad for me. And so I'm going to be grumpy and stern with you. Not good for the relationship. Definitely not good for your relationship, especially with your wife. Um, mm. So it's great that Lucille, I'm going to use her name rather than wife, uh, was able to point that out to you. But did you notice that your own reaction was out of kilter? Uh, I wasn't happy. It was certainly wasn't serving me. <laughs> That's the, I did notice that. This is going nowhere. I'm in a trap. Yeah, okay. So the first thing to notice is the degree to which you get upset. You know, like the classic case is someone getting upset over the toothpaste cap not being put on. Right. It's never about the toothpaste cap. It's usually about something else. And it might be that a former partner or someone else used to always do things that they think that were done to deliberately annoy or frustrate you when really that person just is not present to the toothpaste cap. It's interesting you say that because that's kind of like what I was just thinking about the situation with Lou is that that's exactly what it was. There was that was I was bringing stuff in from the past as well. I'm making I won't that just like when you're talking about that. I'm going, yeah, hang on. There was more to that, John. You know that that ability to go that quickly to that area didn't come from just Lou's behaviour. It came from beforehand. So yeah, absolutely. It all comes. Yeah. So so what's the behaviour that you're exhibiting really about then? Self-defense, I would say, in my case, yeah. On that instance, it's self-defense and a need to protect, right? And yeah. where does the upset live? In the past. And with whom does it live? Me. Yeah, with you. Did it my live decision. with Lucille? That actually was my decision to be upset or not to be upset. It was my decision whether to react or not to react. And when I chose to respond, acknowledging that things were different and that this was not then, this was now, then, right. There, so this is what we talk about, what's really bugging you. What, yeah. what, so it's like, that's why the word really is in there. It's not just what's bugging you, it's what's really bugging you. Yeah, what's really at the bottom of it all. And generally, it's not what you think. And so our listeners should, you know, in, in context of this, what Discovering Your Default will do is help our listeners to really understand where they are at now, potentially what upsets or, or what's what has occurred in their life that is giving them the internal discussion that they're having there, the way in which they talk to themselves and frequently people put themselves down. We are very harsh on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um and perhaps the, the filters that they are hearing the world through because that kind of stops us from moving forward. I mean, at the end of the day, if we can't hear, we can't get information in because our filters are blocking it, we can't learn, can we? No, we can't. It's not dissimilar to putting on a really cool parachute and jumping out of a plane and not pulling the ripcord. You just <laughs> you don't know how to pull the ripcord. But pulling the ripcord makes a huge difference, and the difference will be whether you um, have the jump that you want or you go splat on the ground. Or, you know, you probably die before you hit the ground, actually, but you, you get the metaphor, right? <laughs> Whenever I hear so story, I've got to, I've, I have to share this. I'm sorry. I had a friend who jumped out of airplanes for fun. He thought it was a good idea. And uh, the handle, apparently, on the emergency chute is very expensive, right? So yeah. on one of these jumps, he had to pull the emergency chute, right? Mm-hmm. His, his main chute didn't open. He had to pull the emergency chute. He got down to the ground. People were kind of rushing out to him, and the first thing the, the uh, president of the club said to him, have you got the handle? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm thinking about other things up. right now. My chute didn't open. <laughs> yeah, I bet he felt loved in that moment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But it's funny how, you know, again, this is everybody's behaving based on what is their priorities, based on what is important to them. And that handle was important to the, the president. Bruce's life was important to him. Um, you know, we, we, we're all human at the end of the day. And I think there needs to be a lot of forgiveness that goes on in these discussions. And when somebody says something daft like that, you've got to go, well, 
yes or no, but what does it matter? You know, let's let's forgive people and move on. So this internal, these these um, real issues. It takes a bit of work. Is this when we talk about the Candy Crush stuff? As I mean, like, like you, you get it, if you knew these things were upsetting your judgment and and stopping you from moving forward, surely you'd just set them aside and go, okay, right, well, this calculator is a problem, out. But that's not like that. It's not that easy, is it? It, it isn't that easy, and it's a practice and it takes time and it's a discipline. So I'll give, I'll give you a, an example from my own ex- history, right? I remember once I was being coached by um, Lucy. Uh, she was an amazing coach and she asked me, what's, you know, how's your week been? And I launched into this tirade about how I had entered a trade just years ago when I was trading and I used to trade covered calls. And what you do there is you buy a stock and then you sell another, you sell a, uh, an option against it and you, you make the difference, right? And then if it goes up, it gets called away. If it doesn't, you keep the stock and you do the same thing again. So I had done this and I noticed that the contract went up and I thought, yay, that's really good. And then two weeks later, I noticed that it was really down and I went, that doesn't make any sense. So I went and had a look at it and I had taken the wrong side of the trade. And I can't tell you how many times that I have made that stupid rookie mistake. Now, I can say that as a stupid and rookie mistake and have no judgment about it. But back then, I my inside my head, I was like, you're an idiot. You've been doing this for years. How many times are you going to be doing this for? You know, what do you think you're doing? And it just goes on and on and on. And she said to me, um, that's very below the line, isn't it? And I went, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, you're spending a lot of energy on something that happened how long ago? And I went, well, three weeks because it was three weeks ago. And she asked me, where, you know, why do you do that? And I went, oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> why do I do that? So I had a good think about it. And it was because I had internalized uh, this blame, shame, very Catholic, sorry to anyone who's Catholic out there, I'm still a card-carrying Catholic, but I'd internalised that. So the way it worked was beat yourself up, you know, mia culpa, mia culpa, which basically means I'm bad, I'm bad. Um, Interesting, those words are, again, very powerful. And then I would have this little window of peace and then I'd do something human, i.e. stupid, not in my best interests, and then I'd go back to getting out the cat of nine tails and the voices inside my head and the amount of, that were, were very loud, but the amount of energy that was going towards it was disproportionate to what was going on. So it occurred to me that what I needed was a structure. And you mentioned this before, John, structures make the difference. And I thought, how can I catch it faster? Because given that I had made that mistake more times than I care to mention, um, I was probably going to do it again. It's unrealistic to think that I'm not going to do that. So I need a check and a balance. So what I did was I went and had a look and I worked out that there was a button I could push that would show me exactly what I'd entered into. And if I made the mistake, I could just simply undo it then and there. How long do you reckon it took me before I made that mistake again? Well, I would like to think that you put the structure in place and you've never made the mistake again. I put the structure in place and I made the mistake about three weeks later. And 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 I caught it. And then I went, oh, maybe we can make this work. And I went, no, 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 the structure's there for a reason. So I unwound the trade and I got out of it for a really small loss as opposed to the $2,000 loss in the last trade where I just had no clue because I had no structures. So it's not that it's never going to happen again. It will. So what you're saying is these things that are, uh, create the way in which we think, the things that are really bugging us, 
they're not likely to go away. But being conscious of them, being aware of them, being aware that we're hearing information through filters and that the way I'm being aware of the way in which we speak to ourselves is gives us the scope to start creating change, start creating those structures that enable us to to move forward, right? And just for our yes. listeners, just yes. quickly. But, uh, but there's, a, there's a key point, key point here, right? So it's not that they they um, – because you could focus on the they never go away part. But the next time it happened, I had that very quick conversation. I didn't spend three weeks beating myself up. I got out of that trade and my focus went somewhere else. My focus went to the next thing. I wasn't dragging it you forward. You didn't waste all that energy dragging that baggage around with you and beating exactly. yourself up. It was like, okay, well, I... I've fixed that and I'm, I'm, I'm moving on. And then you can build up a bank of these positive experiences and this is, this is what changes life. This is why the whole Andrea model is circular, which is why you, you discover your default and then create a new you and then it's conscious action. And guess what? You've got a new default. So go look at the default you're in now and then keep going around the circle. And if uh, listeners want to know more about that, they can go to our website, www.andrea, that's A-N-D-R-E-I-A, dot solutions. There's no dot com or dot net or anything like that. It's just dot solutions. Go along there and you can find out much more about the Andrea method, which is what we're talking about today with Tanya. So the last lesson in Discover Your Default is fear. What role does fear play? What's that lesson about? Well, all of these different lessons seem to create your default and it really is an energy conversation. So if your energy is going into your upsets or your energy is going into your fears, it's finite, right? You don't have infinite energy you've got to go to sleep and replenish it and as we get older we need a bit more sleep and we are the sum of our experiences until we take control of that right so the the name of that lesson is fear believing your own voodoo now that's a very deliberate tongue-in-cheek tongue-in-cheek sorry uh name to the lesson because coming back to the how we talk to ourselves we are literally talking ourselves in or out of anything at any one point in time. Now, where your focus goes will have something to do with how you interpret your fears. You know, are they, um, are they real or are they not real? And again, this is where this idea of yours about approaching it with a question mark and questioning everything, it's a theory and testing it will serve you really, really well. So these fears that that we have, um, what you're saying is that if we have a fear of of something, we can can pick it apart. It's like it's people who have a fear of frogs, and I've I've heard this, that they, they, a therapist will, will expose them to it until the, till the point they're actually with a frog sitting on their hand. They'll, uh, they'll see a frog, go near a frog, touch a frog, have the frog sound, and then they realize, well, the frog's actually not going to hurt me. So by looking at the evidence around the fear, yeah. they discover that, that hey, and that's as opposed to uh, red belly blacks and taipan snakes and rattlesnakes, et cetera, which perhaps you don't want to grab by the tail and do any aversion therapy with because being averse to being bitten by a snake is probably a good thing. Yeah, well, that's the difference between fear and danger right there. Right. One's made up and one's real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and fear, so what you're saying is the voodoo is, is the made-up part. What are we stopping ourselves from doing in our lives because we're, we're fearful? Are there any popular fears? I mean... Uh, fear of public speaking. There's one yeah. right there. I've, I've certainly had that one. And here you are. Fear, fear of failure, as a, wouldn't that be the most common, isn't it? Fear of, fear of make humiliation. Making a fool yeah. of yourself. And fear of success apparently is right up there with the fear of failure, so go figure. I mean, that points out the flip right there. What's the opposite of failure? 
Well, you think it would be success. <laughs> well, yeah, it is. It is. And yet we can fear them both. Um, there's, a, uh, there's a great quote about the motive of the viewer determines what is seen. So what sits underneath it is motivating you in a particular direction and it determines what you actually see. Like uh, I was talking to someone just the other day about um, this whole experience of doing radio and video. I mean, I've got my U-Butte light there. I have been practising with voice coach and this is not a natural thing for me to do. I'm you know, naturally quite nervous around it. Yet here I am. Why? Because the closer I get to it, just like you said about the frog, the less of a thing it is for me because I'm starting to, to alter my relationship to it. And there's a really great book by a woman named Tara Moore, and she talks about two different types of fear. And there's uh, Nora and Picard. So Picard, and it comes from the, the Jewish Bible, and Picard is the, the fear that, that kids have that we can take into our adulthood. And it's effectively the monster that lives under the bed. Now, I don't know if you remember back to those days, John, but, you know, the monster in the cupboard or the one under the bed, or I used to watch the dust particles and I would see things in the dust particles that would, like, terrify me. But there's nothing there. That's Picard. And then the other kind of fear that we have is called Nora which is the same as awe. That's why uh, they talk about fearing God. It's not being scared, scared of God per se. It's about having this um, reverence and respect that scares you a little. And when it scares you a little, there's a good chance that you're onto something great. But the same nerves that react to that fear response that you make up also react to that uh, Nora response, which is actually telling you that's the direction you need to go in, which is why it should scare you just a little bit. So that and that, that gets your adrenaline going too. Chances are it's putting you on notice because I think it was Elton John, I might, might be wrong, but a famous rock star used to always get stage fright, even though been in the business for 20, 30 years, always got stage fright and didn't mind it because it put the edge on. It said, wake up, you're about to go on stage and do your thing. So be there. And yeah. I think it's interesting, isn't it? And it's interesting talking to what you were saying there before about the way in which you are creating a new Tanya and, and you're overcoming this default position because that's the, that's the next module and we'll be talking about that next week, which is create a, a new you. We'll be having a closer, closer look at that uh, next week, um, 3 p.m. Pacific time here on BBS Radio 1 and in your nearest uh, streaming iPod uh, provider your favourite, pick your favourite will be there, the power of you from Andrea um, but looking at this overall package of of bits and pieces we've been looking at, this discovering your default would it be, would it be fair to say that this sets the foundation for change for an individual, becoming aware of these things? It would it would, but more than that if you think about a default how much flexibility is there in anything that's got a default? Well, it has to be conscious, doesn't it? Because if you leave it to go to the default, then it's just going to go through the default. If you yeah. have to, you know, you know, like say you've got, oh, here we go, the final default is this, or if it's, if it's just permanently diverted to the default, well, nothing changes. Stuck. Piece of paper. If I take this piece of paper and I put lines in it and I put some more lines in it, okay? Now I know some of you can only hear it, but you can imagine the piece of paper's now got crisp lines in it. Folds, now yeah, folds in it, yep. Folds, lines, yep. same thing. Okay. But if I... One piece of paper into four, yep. Yes, I have. Now, if I smooth it out, those lines are still visible. That's like a default. <laughs> yes, they are, on a folded piece of paper. So you, yeah. you could even put an iron and you could iron it and those fold lines would still be visible. Yeah. Well, if you iron it with enough care, love and care, you'll probably get the crinkles out. Uh, nah, 
Not with but, paper. But there'll still be some kind of remnants there, right? Yep. The memory would be there. Because yeah, you've actually crushed exactly. the fiber. Yeah. 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 Okay, good. And that's right. You were in the paper industry, so you know better than me. So <laughs> your default is like that. Is there much flexibility in that? No. It's there. No, there's not. There's no flexibility. So why it is critical to get your default is once you've got your uh, default, then you can bring some flexibility back to what is effectively a rigid position. Ah, so it creates the possibility of change, and that's because you're – yeah, is that, is that kind of like, like when we were rigid with fear? <laughs> you know, like you – and you then go, well, hang on, it doesn't have to be that way. So you're a little bit of relax and you go, hang on, I can understand why I'm that and there's, I feel that and, gee, maybe the information that I'm working on is not, it's not 100% right because, and we'll discuss this next week in speaking of truth or about the truth. Um, but it, it does, again, the question mark, isn't it? It, it creates the possibility of change. Yeah, well, okay, over here, you've got your default, which is certainty. And mm-hmm. it's what's probable. And in my other hand, my right hand, you've got what's possible. If you come from what's probable, what's possible isn't, it doesn't get a look in. And it only gets a look in when you can be flexible in your thinking. So mm-hmm. I'll give you uh, an example. I remember being 18 and going to my friend's um, party. I didn't drink at all back then. She did. And she was on this three-meter high fence, was a bit, which is a bit higher than three yards, and she just fell over and hit the ground. Now, three metres is a decent way to fall. Mm-hmm. She didn't hurt herself, though, because her body was totally relaxed. Now, it was relaxed because she was unduly intoxicated, not a good thing. But the fact that her body was so um, malleable meant that she wasn't bracing for an impact. Our default is always bracing. And when we're always bracing, we lose our flexibility. And the reason why it's important to discover your default is one of the main reasons you don't have what you want in business, life, and relationships is because you've lost your ability to have flexible thinking. And your flexible thinking was it's most powerful when you were born and it's become less and less flexible ever since. And this is about regaining your flexibility so that you can navigate your way and respond so that you can get what you want. That's effectively it. Thank you, Tanya. We sadly are running out of time. We will be discussing next week. We've been discussing Discover Your Default, uh, Module 1 of the Andrea Method, and if you'd like to know more about that, you can go to www.andrea.solutions. There is a download attached to this show on BBS1, The Power of You. Um, Go there, and there's a download you can... uh, Take that down and see how you're fitting against your your default. And we'll be back this time next week on BBS Radio 1 with uh, Create a New You, Module 2 of the uh, Andrea Method, and Tanya and I will be pulling that apart. But uh, until then, that's all we've got time for today. So thank you very much for your company, and we'll see you next week. Back to you, TJ. Thanks, John. The Power of You, presented by Andrea, with John Williams and Tanya Caprioli. Live 3 p.m. Pacific Time, every Wednesday on BBS Radio 1. Inspire, influence and impact your world. Visit www.andrea.solutions.com.